0: It's Friday. I mean, it's February 17th. We wish it was Friday. Yeah, me too. 2016, welcome to another edition of Bite Marks Cafe, where we serve you the first bite of today's technology. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. First up today, we're going to hear about a couple of upcoming events.
1: Carolyn Guerin joins us by phone to tell us about the Maui Wed Tech Summit. And Cindy Matsuki from the HTDC returns to tell us about the next Wet Wear Wednesday. We'll also hear about the AT&T
0: Hackathon. And finally, we'll explore the Northwest Hawaiian Islands with Daniel Wagner and Jonathan Tree. Among the many researchers have traveled to the NOAA on the NOAA vessel Okeanos. We always welcome your comments and questions as part of that conversation as well. You can contact us by calling in or sending us a tweet after the break. Well, first, I wanted to share something that's happening, uh, put on by HPU, and it's called the 2016 Presidential Lecture Series, and it's on global leadership and sustainability. And this is, this is coming up pretty quick. Uh, it's going to be tomorrow, which is uh, February 18th at 5.30. And it's going it's called Can Science Save Us? And Advice for the Next President of the United States. And it's featuring Neil F. Lane, who's a Ph.D., but he's also Senior Fellow for uh, Science and Technology over at Rice University, um, the James A. Baker Institute for Public Policy and the Malcolm Gillis University Professor Emeritus and Professor of Physics and Astronomy Emeritus and so he's a very well well recognized fellow but he's also one of the former directors of the NSF and of course the 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 topic of conversation is you know a lot of the money that goes into science in America is really Provided by the NSF, Mm -hmm. and you know the recent discovery of gravitational waves were was funded by the NSF. So anyway, this uh, fellow is going to be talking uh, as a part of the this series that HPU is putting on. It's going to be on Thursday, February eighteenth, at five thirty, over at Aloha Tower Marketplace, and we will put that up on our show notes for later on this uh, this evening.
1: And another reminder: next uh, Thursday, the twenty fifth, is the 16th Annual HVCA, the Hoy Venture Capital Association Deal of the Year Awards Gala that will be Next Thursday, basically an opportunity to celebrate the most recent deals, the greatest successes, and the greatest and most creative entrepreneurs in our community. And uh, we've had Millie James talk about it in the past. It's an annual tradition, and we hope that you'll consider attending for more information on that event again. Next Thursday, the HVCA Awards Gala. is. Uh, you can go to hvca.org for more information. On that,
0: very good, and of course, uh, first up, we want to welcome Carolyn Guerin by phone, and uh, she's here to tell us about the upcoming Wedtech Summit on Maui. Welcome to the show, Carolyn.
2: Thank you so much for having me, and I'd also like to thank the High Technology Development Corporation that told me all about you, and um, that's why I'm even here. So Great. glad to connect. Thank you so much for having me on.
0: Yeah, and you're calling in from California, correct?
2: Um, in San Francisco, and I'll be on a plane to beautiful Maui on Friday.
0: Well, so that that's uh, you know a good enough excuse for why you haven't heard about Bite Marks Cafe. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> you We're know worldwide what I
2: have heard of it because I've I've had my my eye on Hawaii as a very interesting place where good business and technology is happening for about a year now. So I I, have, I do know about you. Oh, excellent.
1: very good, excellent. Yep. yep. So we've I've got. See, uh, I've
2: seen some of your episodes on YouTube as well. Oh,
1: my. Yeah. Well, so we've, uh, we've, we've heard about clean tech. We've heard about green tech. We've heard about ag tech. Um, but this was a new one for me, Carolyn, wed tech. Uh, I guess that's an intersection between weddings and technology. What is the wed tech summit?
2: Okay, so basically it's the child, the baby of two highly profitable parents, which is wedding and technology. And, you know, when I talk to people in Silicon Valley or anywhere in San Francisco, I keep getting the same, the same answer, which is, why hasn't this happened before? And I said, well, probably because we're crazy and we like to plant a flag on the moon and uh, and do everything the hard way. But uh, I, I do have a background in wedding. I served as senior editor for Destination. I do for about seven years and did some books with Chronicle called Anti-Bride. So I've always taken a contrarian view of the wedding industry.
1: Did you say anti-Bride?
2: Antigrides, yeah, All right. that's the name of the book series of Chronicle. <laughs> and, it, you know, I look at the wedding industry not as a big ball of wire but as 25 separate market verticals around which technology, monetization, innovation, and app and platform development can occur.
0: Oh, very good. And yeah. so this, uh, this upcoming WedTech, this is um, something that you've been doing across the country, correct?
2: Nope, we started in San Francisco. We have done two of them. But when I went on a press trip for the uh, Destination I do magazine last February to, to Maui, I, I just thought, like, this is so much. It's set up for wedding. It's set up for romance travel. It's set up for food. Um, every kind of purchased experience, it's basically just Nirvana central. And there's much that can be done around all of this. Like I said, the verticals on the tech side, and you know, from wedding dresses to the wearables to to food and wine and and media and, and drones at weddings. I mean, it's it's endless.
0: So, oh, interesting. Like, so we wearables, in you, mentioned, you, a man- lot because you mentioned. You mentioned wearables.
2: Open to innovation, yeah.
0: Uh, and what? I'm um, I'm I'm trying to think. Like, what part of the wearable? tech world is intersecting with the the wedding glow in the dark wedding dress oh, okay okay. I mean, okay i've been okay, removed okay, from that well, market for so yeah, long Yeah, there's
2: wedding reality where you can actually you can design your dress online and you don't even have to step into a wedding salon which is super cool uh i know that some of the wearables i've seen that they have heat up and cool down fabrics they have patterns that go across fabrics that light up there's I know that you have an innovations lab in Honolulu mm-hmm. that is doing very cool stuff, and I hope to meet some of these folks uh, next Thursday when I do come to Honolulu, and uh, it's just its endless, and, and we're tracking it. You know, all that cool stuff out there, we're looking for it every single day, and every web tech, we bring new web tech technologies to, to the conference, so we... We want to hear about all
1: of it. Do you have Especially a
3: particular? You guys are
1: doing. Do you have a particular favorite as far as the technology side, or something that perhaps um, in San Diego or San Francisco really kind of um, resonated with people? I know that um, one example I saw seen was a, a outfit that lets you do a three D printed version of the bride and groom to put on the cake. But yeah, I mean,
2: they were at our last wet check. They're, they're great. They're, we we love those guys. And uh, um, what about you? Go, go ahead. Well, you know, I I love it all, but what I what I really love is anything that saves people time, that helps them make money. And I'm talking on the B2B side, not just the whiz-bang, cool drone stuff, but how can hospitality event planners, photographers, any small business owner save time and money? And, you know, um, online solutions, you know, back office hacks, uh, lean startup methodologies. We have one of the original Lean Start guys coming to EdTech Ian McFarlane, mm-hmm.
4: Mm-hmm. and
2: uh, he's a uh, founder of Neo Labs, and he, he's one of the original Agile thinkers. And I think it's not all about, you know, stuff that lights up in apps. It's about thinking how to do business smarter and using tools to make your time more valuable and have more time to do the things you love, right? So... That's also web tech. It's not all the sexy apps all the time.
1: Sure,
0: sure. So who yeah. do you have uh, in mind in terms of uh, attendees? Are you looking primarily to the, the Maui market, or are, are you opening it up to anybody who's interested in this web, web tech intersection?
2: Well, it's it's very much modeled after a very good friend of mine's conference, Brian uh, of SF Music Tech, and it's B2B and B2C. So if you're a hotel and you want to learn about how to get to the digitally engaged couple, the millennial couple who does everything in-app and everything on their phone, you want to know how to get to them, and you want to know how to talk to them on social. Mm-hmm. If you are a, a brand, for instance, like a, a bank, I spoke to B of A. They won't be here, but they are interested in the newly married couple and how to get them in as a um, as a, you know, a cradle-to-grade customer, right? So they want to figure out how to get to them, and a lot of this is around storytelling. So and, the, the, the and, target
1: and, would be people who are looking to serve that market. Uh, I would imagine brides and grooms, the future brides and grooms, would be interested and might attend, but really it's catered toward those service providers.
2: Yeah, it it's, it's B to B, but you'll see some B to C. Uh, so you'll see some, some consumers coming in. You'll see some wedding photographers coming in. You'll see hotels coming in. We have a significant uh, group coming from the government, from the Maui Mayor's Office, from the NEDB. We have uh, the HTDC coming, which we're very excited about. And they've been with us, um, you know, been supporting us since you know the beginning. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it's it's going to be a mix, and that's what I think makes it exciting. And that's Sounds what good. I'm really looking forward to, and well, really seeing the business community of, of Hawaii. And it, and it is Hawaii-wide, not just for Maui.
0: Sure. And so tell us, uh, where and when is this taking place?
2: It is starting on, well, a VIP uh, media sponsor and speaker uh, event is on the uh, 21st in the evening at Mick Fleetwood's restaurant, and we hear he may even be there. We're not sure, mm. but he may be. And then on the 22nd and 23rd at the Royal Lahaina.
0: Oh, okay, La very good. And So uh, if somebody
1: wanted to attend, and I think many people might, uh, where can they go for more information?
2: You can go to summit.
0: Very good. We'll put that up on our show notes. Thanks, Carolyn, for joining us.
2: Beautiful. And I just wanted to say we have two free conference passes for any of your listeners if they would like to attend. Ah.
0: How does that work? We'll we'll be in touch. <laughs> yeah, send me that info oh,
2: and I'll I'll put it
0: up. Yeah, sounds good. Thank you.
2: Perfect. Thank you.
0: Thanks, Carolyn. And of course, next up is Cindy Matsuki from HTDC. And of speaking course, of yes, and we. Uh, also have uh, uh, Ben Nelson on the phone and they're here to tell us about Wetwear Wednesday and the AT&T Hackathon. Welcome to the show, Cindy and Ben.
5: Hey, welcome. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, so Cindy, Hello, hi. hi Ben. Pleasure to be here. <laughs> hey Ben. So so Cindy, we'll start with Cindy. You know, there's a Wetwear Wednesday coming up. Uh, it's happening next Wednesday, is next that correct? Next Wednesday. Okay. And so right. what is the theme? You know, I, I kind of guess what the theme is, but what you can tell us. What's the theme of <laughs> next Wet Wear Wednesday?
5: So the theme, well, the sponsor is AT&T, mm-hmm. and and they are going to launch their hackathon, which is happening in March. Um, so they just want to meet the software developer community, which is what Wet Wear Wednesday is for. Mm-hmm. And so we're also going to showcase some of our local coder groups, including OODL, O-U-D-L, I don't know what that stands for, but they're they're a cool group.
0: Organization for dynamic languages or something Yes. Something
1: <laughs> like that. Very good. Yeah, very
5: something good. like that. Yeah. Um Aloha Ruby and Pi Hawaii. So should be good to hear from them too. Now so of
1: course the, the Wet Wear Wednesday is a monthly series of events. Um it's now, you know, sometimes it merges with other events, sometimes it's Wet Wear Tuesday and, and such. Sometimes like Thursday. Um mm-hmm. but it's been going on for, for, for many years. Mm-hmm. Um is, is, it, is it something that you're seeing growing? You're seeing the diversity of it. Um, before we get to the AT&T hackathon piece, I'm kind of curious about uh, how you might read the ev- evolution of the community that comes out to this event because I attend when I can and it's always, always larger than I expect, and I think that's a good thing.
5: That is good. That's good. We're coming up to five years mm. of hosting this event, monthly event, which is pretty amazing, mm-hmm. and I think the crowd has grown, but we've sort of plateaued last year. So we're changing it up this year, and I'd like to start hosting it at different venues, including companies. So I'm looking forward to, if anybody has any, if they want to host, if you're a big company and you have a space to host, let me know. Um, just and to typically, show off,
0: typically, how many people would you expect to uh, contain in, 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 a, uh, you know, in a venue?
5: I'd average 80. Okay, so if a company
0: people. is interested, they should have some conference room that Some could space. handle 80 mm-hmm. people.
5: Mm-hmm. And so I think the ones that we have hosted at different locations like that have been bigger events. Right. I like think that draws curious people Like over 100 for sure. people. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, you know, the, um, the, the thing that's interesting about this one is that it's really specific around an AT&T hackathon, mm-hmm. which the at and hackathon has been happening for at least three years, mm-hmm. maybe four so I think uh, maybe we ought to get Ben to tell us a little bit about what is happening with this year's AT&T Hackathon.
3: Sure, absolutely. So this year, um, we're actually going to build out and focus the Hackathon on IoT projects in addition to mobile apps. Um, we'll be supplying a very large number of microcontroller boards, so Arduinos, Raspberry Pis, um, and some additional boards that, that we're going to bring on, some like the Photon, um, and challenge developers really to, to think about how they can build with those. We'll have prizes for the best smart city application uh, for those that are thinking about how to build local and how to build things that benefit the community. Uh, we'll have prizes for the best user experience from that application. Uh, and this year we've tried to pull in some of our more mainland partners to get that flavor into the event to see what uh, developers in Hawaii can do with their technologies. So um, we'll have Harman uh, equipment there for people to hack speakers. Um, and we're also working to pull-in Plantronics as well, so people that are interested in Bluetooth setups will have a chance to, to work with some of their Bluetooth products.
0: So you mentioned IoT, Internet of Things. Is there? Yeah. That's a pretty broad category, <laughs> and, of course, getting mm-hmm. bigger <laughs> every day. Uh, yeah. Is there a specific area in IoT that you're interested in focusing the hackathon?
3: Um, so actually, our goal is to, to leave it broad, Um, We we have provided a a fairly large prize for people that want to build a smart city application. So if they want to leverage microcontrollers and OT technology to benefit the local community, they will have a chance to win $1,000 in addition to the top prizes. Um, But overall, we really just want to see the creativity of developers in Hawaii, And
0: Mm
2: -hmm.
3: we feel best to do that by not limiting them to a specific theme.
0: Now, when you say you are bringing hardware, are you bringing hardware for just about every person or every team that per- potentially forms?
3: We should have enough for any individual team to use any of the specific boards. So we'll have um, upwards of 15 to 20 of each kind. Um, and so if you're looking to build with you know, an Arduino and a Raspberry Pi, you should still expect that we'll have enough in stock for you to do so. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm.
3: Um, so one, one note for those that would want to build with Raspberry Pis is we will not bring monitors and keyboards. So if uh-huh. you're looking to work on one of those, it's always nice to have one of those available
1: bring your own some bring some of your own devices for sure so um i know the last 18 Hackathon that um i checked in on was over at the university of hawaii and there was kind of a strong kind of education component a student component to it um mm-hmm. I, it sounds like internet of things is a theme for for this one mm-hmm. um is there any kind of uh, uh focus or constraint that you're looking to for this upcoming one or it's really anything goes
3: it is really really anything goes um and you know, just like the last one, we're very open to students and those that are learning to code. Uh, it's always good to have uh, the community grow, and that's a great place for that to occur. Um, and this time we'll be at uh, Sacred Heart, Heart Academy.
0: Okay. And then, uh, uh, Ben, last question. Uh, I'm just curious. You know, AT&T has been doing this on a, on a pretty consistent basis. Uh, is there any sort of follow-up after the hackathon in terms of what happens to some of the projects that come out of the, uh, the hackathon, these early prototypes?
3: Um, so, I mean, there there can be. Um, I, I don't, unfortunately, have... I, I didn't work on the prior uh, to, uh, Hawaii hackathons, so I don't have the follow-up information for those. But usually, any partners that are interested in following up, or if, uh, for instance, the local uh, AT&T team is interested in working on a the project, they'll reach out. And regardless, we'll check in on the team and see what we can do to assist, either by connecting them with developer Evangelist support, uh, or highlighting them through media and blogs that that we can get out there.
0: Okay, very good. And uh, so, Cindy, the the Wetware Wednesday that's coming up um, is mm-hmm. is Ben going to be there or just the local AT and T team?
5: I think just the local AT and T team.
0: Okay, and and where is this special place? Because I know you mentioned it to me, and I thought it was Chuck E. Cheese, but I know it's not. <laughs>
5: I'm so excited. It's in Manoa Marketplace. It's called Medicis and they're a music and art school slash jazz slash Hawaiian club scene. Huh. Yeah. Okay. So I'm really excited. And it's just next door to Manoa Innovation Center.
0: Okay. And uh where can people go to find out more information?
5: You can I would like you to go to register at Eventbrite. Uh, wetware.eventbrite.com
0: okay. wetware.eventbrite.com
5: mm-hmm. and
1: um, th- it is where you can find more information about the the hackathon um, mm-hmm. when is that
0: event?
5: That event is March 11th and 12th and we do have links to the hackathon on our, our site too.
0: Fantastic. We'll put that up on our show notes. Thanks Cindy and Ben for joining us. Thanks Ben.
5: Thank you for having us. Thank you very much.
0: And of course we'll take a short break and when we return we'll be joined by Daniel Wagner and Jonathan Tree who will tell us about their upcoming exploration of Papa and now, Moku Akea. What do these
1: expeditions offer to scientists that they can't get in a lab? And what's in store for the next Okeanos mission? We'd love to hear these stories of exploration at sea. And if you've got a question, you can call in and join that conversation. It's 941-3689 or toll free from the neighbor islands, 877-941-3689.
0: And of course, you can tweet us your questions at BiteMarks or at Hawaii. This is Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Stephen Dubner.
4: On the next Freakonomics Radio, everyone's heard the stat. Women make 77 cents for every dollar that men make. But... Does that mean that women are
3: receiving lower pay for equal work? That is possibly the case in certain places. But by and large, it's not that. It's something else.
4: The true story behind the gender pay gap. That's next time on Freakonomics Radio. Thursday evening at 7. February 20th, jazz and Middle East master musician Surin Baronian joins local favorite Partners in Time in HPR's Atherton Studio. Join us for this evening spanning the traditions of Bulgaria, Greece, and Turkey to contemporary improvisations and originals. Call for your tickets to Partners in Time, 955-8821 during business hours, or go to HPRTickets.org. Sponsored by Bonnie Rice and the Rice Partnership, Wealth Management.
0: Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributor Oceanside Hawaii Assisted Living and Memory Care. Welcome back to Bite Marks Cafe. I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And of course, joining us today is Daniel Wagner and Jonathan Tree. Daniel received his Ph.D. in Biological Oceanography from the University of Hawaii and is currently a research specialist for the Papahanao Mokuakea Marine National Monument.
1: Jonathan Tree, meanwhile, is a graduate student at the University of Hawaii at Manoa, finalizing his master's degree in geology and geophysics. His work is focused on the geologic history of the Hawaiian hotspot.
0: And, of course, what areas will the Okeanos uh, explore or focus on, on this expedition? And, of course, what tools will researchers be using? We'd love to hear your questions and comments. And, of course, that number to call is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689 from the neighbor islands. We want to welcome you both to Bite Marks Cafe.
4: Thank, Thank
0: you, you so welcome. much for having us. Well, Daniel, you know, we've had you on. We had you on with Chris Kelly. Uh, I don't know. It must have been about... Probably a good eight months ago, maybe six months ago. Uh, July, I guess July. Let's let's just say it. And uh, that was a you know that was the we had I had an opportunity to go visit the uh, Okeanos Explorer and you know saw the vessel. Uh, it's, it's fascinating. And and actually, the expedition that you went on was you know televised and and I you know you could watch all the cool discoveries that were happening uh, back you know, back in July. Maybe you could share a couple of, you know, cool things that you might have uncovered on that expedition.
6: Yeah, so last time we talked, Bert, it was very exciting. We were just about to leave up to the northwestern Hawaiian Islands, uh, and uh, that was the first time the Okeanos Explorer was going to go up there And uh, one of the very exciting things is that that was actually the very first cruise that they collected physical specimens on an expedition. They have been doing science around the world in many places, and that was the very first time that they were doing that. And we were remarkably successful in collecting specimens, uh, collected about 35 uh, biological samples, all of which are likely to be new species or species that we did not know exist in the northwestern Hawaiian Islands. And we had some uh, remarkable dives uncovering some things that were just uh, spectacular. One of the most noteworthy um, of our discoveries is we found a sponge that was uh, bigger than any sponge had ever been recorded, uh, size about a minivan. And this was recorded at a depth of 2,000 meters. Uh, so, over a mile deep, you have these giant organisms. And uh, yeah, it was just a great experience, and we're very excited to have back up there uh in less than a week.
0: Now, when you say collect samples, I mean, you know, when you describe a a sponge that's the size of a minivan, you're not like hauling that <laughs> whole minivan into the into the ROV, <laughs> I mean, the ROV, right? I mean, it's I, I was watching. I mean, the, the 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 collectors, the little hands that pick these things up are really
6: small. Yeah, and, and so when we collect a sample, we're just collecting a very small tissue sample that we can then use to identify get DNA from so we can uh, understand what kind of species it is. So they are, yeah, physical limitations. The sample box that is attached Mm -hmm, to the submersible mm -hmm. is only so big. So, yeah, we're only collecting very small samples of these giant organisms in some cases.
1: Now, we like talking about these uh, exploration additions. We've talked about the Schmidt Ocean Institute and their Falker, uh Research Vessel. In this case, it's a NOAA vessel, the Oceanus Explorer. You, did you say that it was their first expedition to the Pacific Northwest uh, Hawaiian Islands?
6: To the Northwestern Hawaiian Islands, yeah. They've done work previously um, in, in the Pacific as well as in many other parts of the world um, including the Atlantic. They've done work in Indonesia. Um, Yeah, so they've they've gone all over. They've been in existence now for six years and have done work all over. And you can find out more on their website and, and where they've done. And they actually have a very nice interactive portal where you can find out everything they've ever done.
0: So is there anything special that has happened over the last couple of years that has brought is here to Hawaii to spend as much time as it is in Hawaii as opposed to so, you know anywhere else in the world?
6: So there was a larger initiative, actually, of, of NOAA at, in general. So there's actually more than just that ship. Uh, several of NOAA's ships are in the Pacific for the next three years. Uh, so there have been kind of a concerted effort to focus on the U.S. Pacific Islands and, and tar- do some target exploration using several ships. And so, yeah, we've had uh, the Nautilus here. We've had mm-hmm. the Ocanus Explorer here. Uh, the Brown is currently here. So there are several of NOAA ships are currently in the vicinity uh, to try to leverage some resources and uh, some cross-site uh, synergy.
0: You know, and the one last thing I want to talk a little bit about this topic is that um, has there been a greater influence in terms of funding to make this happen here? Because, you know everything costs something, and and to have that kind of dedication to Hawaii, uh, I think it's a great thing. But somebody must have been able to convince Congress to you know let some money go and you know have this uh, happen here. Is that is that influence happening? I guess in Washington.
6: So there there is a NOAA program, uh, the NOAA Deep Sea Coral Research and Technology Program. Uh, That's a cross-NOAA program that looks at uh, deep-sea corals and sponges uh, throughout U.S. waters. Mm -hmm. And because deep-sea research is expensive, they try to focus on uh, different geographical regions in three-year cycles. Uh, So before this, it was in the Atlantic. And now for the next three years, they're focusing the research here in the U.S. Pacific. And so that is part of it as well. Okay, very good.
0: Well uh Jonathan uh this is uh your first time on the Okeanos as I as I understand but you did have uh, several memorable trips on the Falkor.
4: Yes, that is correct. Uh, I was actually with Daniel on one of two 36-day legs up to the Northwest Hawaiian Islands which we our primary target was actually mapping a lot of the places that we're going to be diving on in this next upcoming e- expedition and so uh that's actually a critical thing to know what you're going to be diving on right before you actually go there. The ROV actually uh, is preferred to land on more or less a flat surface, and if you do not have any of the high-resolution uh, mapping data that shows you what the seafloor looks like, those type of landing sites become a little bit harder to find. So,
0: so the mapping technology that you're currently using, what kind of resolution are, are we talking about?
4: Uh, the resolution will depend on not just the depth, but also also the uh, conditions at sea while mm-hmm. you're actually doing the surveying. Uh, the Falkor collected some beautiful data just uh, simply Due to a, a little modification on their ship's hull called a uh, gondola, which is a wing that prevents any kind, of the, any kind of bubbles from sweeping under the hull of the ship and interfering with the sonar or mm. the, the sound transducers mm-hmm. imaging the bottom. And so uh, with those high resolution images, we can now actually go target very specific spots on each of these seamounts and uh, get a more focused dive mm-hmm. on each one, each individual
0: and okay. these are areas that haven't <clears throat> been mapped to this kind of uh, uh, detail.
4: That is correct. So there have been a lot of efforts throughout the years, but the the monument is actually a very very large area, and so you could spend thirty six days out at sea and only cover a small little portion of the monument. And so uh, our seventy two days effort out there actually got most of the the ter- uh, territory within the monument mm-hmm. covered. Mm-hmm. So, so I mean.
1: Can, can you give us an
4: idea? I know
1: that the Papahanaumokuakea Marine National Monument is one of the largest such uh, protected marine areas in the world. But when we hear that, in fact, when it was established 10 years ago, um, we knew it was the largest. But how big are we talking? I mean, is there a way
4: to put that in scale for someone who doesn't think in that scale? Uh, you can think of California and take about ninety percent of California's surface area, and that is approximately the same area that we're talking about within the monument. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. trying to map
1: it is therefore not a small uh, undertaking. I, I would always, I had always thought that perhaps from satellites you could get pretty good images of what the C four looks like, but I guess that's not the case. You need higher resolution than
4: that. Oh, you, you're actually correct on the satellite imagery. Uh, satellites collect something called altimetry data. Basically, it's just sensing. Uh, the distance between the satellite and the ocean surface itself. So these seamounts actually bring water closer to them. Being an object of mass, they have a little bit greater gravity around them, which allows for the satellites to actually image that. Uh, And you can get a pretty decent resolution imaging of any kind of uh, surface or the surface of any of the volcanoes. However, the detail that you can collect while out on research vessels is unprecedented. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: So your specialty is is uh, what, the geology of this region. Is that correct?
4: That is correct. So uh, within my master's work and research here at UH, UH, I have focused on using a, a whole bunch of different collections that have been collected from the Monument Area and all the way up to the Northwest Hawaiian Islands, where the Hawaiian Emperor chain or the Hawaiian turns into the Hawaiian Emperor chain, and uh, using those samples, I actually look at the the chemical makeup of not just the rock itself, but also the minerals that are contained within the rock. And the neat thing about some of these different chemical characteristics of Hawaiian volcanoes and Hawaiian rocks is that you can you can tease out a lot of very interesting ins- information as to uh, the history of not only the hotspot and its volcanic activity, but why it actually erupted differently at one stage and uh, the same as the Hawaiian islands are erupting right now. Other times, mm-hmm.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: now Daniel, your specialty is more on the microbiology side, on the, the living creatures side. Um, so while all of this mapping is going on, and now that you, you actually now that you have these maps to show you uh, the topography of where you're going to be researching, what was it that you were focusing on um, in your research?
6: Uh, so, yeah, we are targeting areas that have very specific topography. Uh, so, what we're basically looking for are corals and sponges and large communities of these large aggregations. Now, deep sea corals and sponges are both filter feeders, they filter on little particles that are dissolved in the water column. Uh, so you have aggregations of these organisms in places where the local topography ac- accelerate uh, currents. Mm-hmm. Uh, that happens uh, towards the tops of seamounts or on uh, the flanks and crests of ridges. Uh, so we're basically looking through this high-resolution data that Jonathan was mentioning and looking for some very specific features where we find very steep topography because that's where we're going to find some very interesting biology as well.
0: So the areas that you're looking at are are different from the areas that you had explored previously. So, I mean, you know, when you go out on a mission, I mean, you can only cover so much ground. So, uh, relatively speaking, I mean, there's a lot more to uncover.
6: Absolutely. So, we talked about the monument uh, being enormous in size, so almost 140,000 square kilometers in size. It's enormous. It's 2,000 miles in length. Uh, so getting there is, 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 is difficult, and, and getting to every single corner is, is, is difficult. Um, one thing we haven't really talked about is that the monument is largely very, very deep water. Uh, in fact, over 98% of the monument is at depths below 100 meters, uh, and much of it much, much deeper. We really need these remotely operated vehicles and these advanced technologies to get to and we haven't really been able to get that much data. And so it's very exciting to have a dedicated exploration to look at these deep areas, which represent the largest portion of the monument.
0: I'm curious, uh, you know, in terms of the frequency that you are able to go out there, maybe, I don't know, maybe is it three or four times a, a year. How many years do you think it would take to actually explore the entire monument?
6: Uh, well, it depends what you what you mean by exploring. If you just mean mapping it, you could probably knock that out in uh, in several cruises if you had dedicated. But for example, putting divers on it and, and getting mm-hmm. a look and imaging it and, and seeing uh, that would take a lifetime. On, on some of these ROV dives, even on ones that we are very successful, we cover maybe a half a mile in in, in length that we get images from. Um, so, yeah, that would take 4,000 dives to basically go uh, get yeah. the whole thing imaged. So that's— uh, When you
1: when you talk about the biodiversity, I mean, clearly the importance of this type of research and exploration is to find things that have yet to be discovered that are, that are unknown, you know, resources that could perhaps help but certainly— um, types of life that might be endangered that we didn't even know existed prior to that. Uh, I know when we talk about extreme deep-sea research, Mariana's Trench and and such, you talk a lot about, like, creatures that live at high pressure and look like aliens and are really kind of mind-boggling. At the depths that we're talking about, even at the deeper ends of the Papahanaumoku Marine National Monument, is it something like that, or is it still something that would be familiar, perhaps, to a scuba diver?
6: No, and so I actually would really encourage our listeners, you can follow uh, these dives in real time. So anyone that has an access to a computer uh, can basically look at these dives at the same time that we are looking at them in the ship. And you will see that a lot of these organisms, these sponges and corals, look nothing like what you see on shallow water mm. reefs so uh, it's it is actually uh, quite remarkable uh fascinating to not just the biologists like myself but uh to anyone because you have uh very high resolution capability of to image these things by the remotely operated vehicle and then combine that with just the uh, sheer beauty of some of these creatures. Uh, you
0: know, we're talking to uh, Daniel Wagner and Jonathan Tree, both uh, researchers on the upcoming Okeanos Explore expedition to the Northwest uh, Hawaiian Islands. And, of course, if you have a comment or question, feel free to give us a call. That number is 941-3689 on Oahu or 877-941-3689. Now, you know, Daniel um, and, and Jonathan, you are— definitely uh involved with sort of a a um, leveraging the technology showcasing what is what is out there having people be involved with it, watching what you're discovering are you also involved with sort of perhaps getting some schools involved or what's the educational component of, of these expeditions Jonathan?
4: Well, uh, as far as the geology goes, uh, simple mapping expeditions combined with the ROV dive and operations can teach young children a lot about the uh, seafloor morphology. And a lot of the seafloor morphology, the the shapes and the textures that are present on the lava flows that make up these seamounts can be turned into an educational observation type of uh, outreach program. And Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. these these photos and the beautiful video that we're collecting using the ROV, along with samples that we're collecting the entire time, are uh, quite easy to put into museums and uh, distribute it across to different schools, making up any kind of uh, e- educational outreach projects that we do.
0: The, the the capture of a lot of the data and video and images is is what you guys do, but the actual... Making that into some curriculum—that's that's a job for you know a, a curriculum specialist to work on, correct?
6: Absolutely, you know, I, and I do want to point out for our listeners that might be educators. So NOAA's Office of Exploration and Research—they uh, have a website, uh, including the Oceanus Explorer where they put out a lot of educational materials that are related to our expedition, so they actually have curriculum already established. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, There's video there. There's some summary video. There's some lesson plans. Uh, So if you just... uh, Google Oceano's Explorer Education. There's a wealth of information that's available to educators of all ages. This includes middle school, elementary school, high school, all the way up to university.
1: Mm -hmm. Now, Dan talked a little bit about collecting samples. Uh, Jonathan, I'm curious how that works on your side. Um, Is that something, is it still largely you know, using scanners and, and, and studying topography? Or are you at the point where you're now collecting samples of sediment and rocks and such uh, as part of your research?
4: Yeah, so uh, along with the biological samples that we collect on each ROV dive, we are also collecting uh, up to two samples per dive as well of uh, lava rock and material that makes up the, the seamounts itself. And so... What that goes into later on after the samples have been archived and distributed is uh, researchers such as myself or young graduate students will actually try to, one, age the rocks using radiometric dating or uh, do a simple geochemistry experiment trying to figure out what the compositions of these rocks can tell them about each individual volcano. So Mm -hmm. these these samples that we're collecting from a a place like the monument are... incredibly valuable to the the scientific community of geologists since uh, it's not, as Dan mentioned, it's not as easy <laughs> to get up there and actually not just simply get a ship up there, but also get an ROV down there where you can see the sample that you're collecting. And uh, this is a this is a lot different than other methods of collection where uh, most geologists they simply just put a bucket over the side of the ship and drag oh. it along the, the ocean floor. <laughs> it's called dredging. And so you never see where the sample comes from. You don't really have any details of what, what it looked like before you picked it up in the bucket. And so this very specific targeting by the ROV of samples allows us to actually be a little bit more picky on which samples we like and which mm-hmm. samples we don't like. And uh, we make those judgments as we go along on the ROV dive each time. Has, so, there,
1: has there been anything particular interesting that you've brought up? I mean, when you're exploring such a, a pristine environment, I was curious about the kind of things that you see that you didn't expect or, or that were, were surprising. I mean, when we talk about a protected uh, marine monument, for example, there's concerned about mining uh, manganese nodules or, you know, things that people might try to exploit before we understand them fully. In your research, uh, have you, even though you're not just using a dredging bucket, have you brought up uh, anything in particular that you were especially proud of?
4: Hmm. Well, uh, I would love to see the samples that we collected on our last leg up there. There's a couple of localities that I have a specific interest in that we, uh, we use the ROV to target those areas specifically, so we can learn more about what what kind of rocks make that up and what kind of features are out there and why. And so uh, even though I probably will not get to get my hands on any of these rocks very soon, there are a couple of rocks that I know, I have to know for a fact, that are just (laughs) going to reveal some incredible things about the geology of the the Hawaiian Ridge.
0: You know, I want to talk a little bit more about the the samples and, and actually what happens after you guys get back and and who actually works on perhaps dating and and getting you know more scientific information out of those samples We'll hold that thought. We'll be right back after this short break to continue our conversation with Daniel Wagner and Jonathan Tree about exploring the deep ocean seamounts.
1: What can they tell us about the history of the Hawaiian Islands and what perhaps might we learn about the future of our ecology? Of course, we'd love to hear from you as well. You can call 941 or from the neighbor islands, that's 877-941-3689. This is Bite Marks Cafe. Audiences are fascinated by stories of killers without a conscience, and the author of the tragicomedy Roberto Zucco wonders what it is that draws us to characters who live outside the rule of law. It's a new production of the Windward Community College Theater 260 students, and we'll meet the director tomorrow morning at 8 on The
6: Conversation.
4: Each week, New Dimensions explores the social, political, scientific, environmental, and spiritual frontiers with some of today's foremost social innovators, thinkers, scientists, and creative artists. Hi, I'm Michael N. McGregor, author of Pure Act. Next time on New Dimensions,
1: I'll be talking about the uncommon life of Robert Lacks. Sunday morning at 11...
3: Support for Bite Marks Cafe comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio
0: sustain and grow its locally produced talk show programming. Mahalo to contributors Bush Consulting and Sacred Hearts Academy. Welcome back. This is Bite Marks Cafe.
1: I'm Bert Lum. And I'm Ryan Ozawa. And we're talking to Daniel Wagner and Jonathan Tree about their upcoming
0: mission aboard the Okeanos. And, of course, you can give us a call here. That number is 941-3689 on Oahu or... 941-3689 941-3689 from the neighbor islands. And right before the break, we were talking about collecting samples and, and all the interesting things because of the, the specificity of the collection capability. And Jonathan, I was wondering, you know, you can do a lot of the studies on the ship. I mean, you have time. You can, you know, you can uh, uh, do some Maybe dating experiments or you know whatever scientific experiments you want on the ship, but a lot of that will also take place after you've gotten back from the expedition. And I'm wondering who in the academic community will be looking at some of these samples.
4: Yeah, so that's correct. Bert. A lot of the uh, a lot of the analysis that we conduct as geologists is uh, also conducted afterwards. We after we collect the samples in the lab, and so. The samples will go off of the ship and will be archived over in Oregon State University's archives, where they will distribute samples to any kind of interested geologists that put in a proposal. But these proposals are very, very detailed. You have to have a very detailed plan as to uh, how much sample exactly you need to accomplish mm-hmm. your goals for that sample. But uh, they will get distributed to some lucky graduate students in the, in the future. No, no,
0: and, why, why Oregon State? Ah. Uh,
4: why not UH? And why
1: don't you get your hands on
4: these rocks yeah. first? <laughs> uh, well, you don't want to give an unfair advantage to anybody just based on their locality. So, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, so. bringing them directly to UH would give us an unfair advantage. And uh, this way it's distributed diplomatically rather oh, I than... See.
0: Okay, there's, there's fairness measured in there. So Daniel.
6: So the Ocandles you know, Explorer and the NOAA's Office of Exploration and Research, they have an open data policy. So they, they make all of their data actually available... Um, to anyone that's I qualified like that. to mm-hmm, process mm-hmm. it. Um, now, for samples, and a lot of times I mentioned they're, they're small and they're very valuable. It's very hard to get them. So they are put in repositories that where they are available to a, a bigger scientific community and repositories that have the resources to basically protect them in perpetuity so they are uh, available in the long term. For the biological samples, a lot of those are sent uh, to the National Museum of Natural History, the Smithsonian Institution in Washington, D.C., because they have just unbelievable capabilities of making these samples available. Uh, no, in the long term. A- and in cases where we've a- a collected a lo- a little bit of a bigger sample, we actually subsampled and left some, some of that tissue samples here at the Bishop Museum. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they really are trying to make the samples available to the larger community, realizing that when you only have a small piece, it's valuable, and you're trying to get the most out of it. Now,
1: mm-hmm. Daniel, when you talk about uh, biological samples, are you bringing uh, living Samples back, or just or not? I mean, for example, when you're collecting something from high pressure deep in the ocean, certainly you might you have to preserve that pressure condition when you bring it up to the surface. I mean, how does that work?
6: So yeah, I mean, what we are sampling are corals and sponges primarily, and we're only taking small tissue samples, so we're not killing the organism. We're taking a small piece that we can use to identify it. Um, Now, yeah, because the pressure difference is so big. It'll be uh, an enormous challenge of, of keeping these things alive in aquarium cultures later. So it's a completely different environment when they're back on the ship.
0: Now, now Jonathan, I mean, now that I think about it, is the Oregon State, uh, are they pretty much set up to provide the mechanism, the procedure by which people can submit proposals in order to get sampling? And and are they a sort of a central repository for a lot of uh, this this sort of geologic uh, uh, specimens, I mean, it makes sense to me now that if you know if they are set up to do that, that's probably the best place for it to go.
4: Uh, there's a couple of. Institutions that are actually set up to do this, really, you just need a big room where you can put a bunch of rocks. <laughs> so there's no but special somebody requirements. Has, somebody has to review the proposal.
0: How? Somebody has to, you know, be the be the arbiter of whether or not this is worthy of, you know, getting a sample.
4: Of course, yes. And so a lot of the samples that come from drilling expeditions is they follow the same sort of protocol that Oregon State will be putting in, where they uh, they will review a proposal for a request and they will distribute the samples to uh, make. The most of each small little bit that they have. So mm-hmm, a, mm-hmm. a couple of these samples will be the only sample from that seamount or from that volcano that has ever been collected. So oh. as Dan mentioned, these these samples are they have no monetary value. They're completely invaluable to everybody in the scientific community. So the the rigorous scrutiny of each individual proposal for a sample has to be conducted by professionals, and Oregon State is definitely uh, suited to handle those samples mm-hmm. the way that they need to.
1: Now, Dan, again, you meant, you said 140,000 square miles of ocean here, something effectively the size of California, and so it will take some time to cover it all. You will have an upcoming mission. Is there a particular region or or route or path that you're going to be following for this expedition? Mm-hmm.
6: Uh, So, so yeah, Ryan, we are leaving next Tuesday, uh, leaving here at Pearl Harbor, and then we're going to be transiting throughout the monument, going from the very south and uh, Nihoa, the first few islands, up to uh, Midway Island and actually just past there. Uh, where we 'd be the first week in March, and then from there we 'll be heading down to Kwajalein in the Marshall Islands, uh, doing a few limited dives in transit down there um, and so yeah, we are going to be covering an enormous distance uh, three thousand one hundred miles in just over uh three weeks so that 's uh, actually the same distance as driving your car from Los Angeles to Boston so mm. Uh, we have a very busy schedule. We will be diving on every single day uh, with the exception of a couple days. And then and then at night, basically moving distance so we can get to our new site and mapping as much as we can in transit as well.
1: Now, you talked about sort uh, of the end of that. You had Kwajalein, for example. I mean, uh, does that mean that some sampling and some research will involve perhaps the proximity of human activity and human habitation?
6: Um, So, actually, we will be quite uh, far away for those dives we'll be doing. Um, And and it's just because this is actually part of a larger initiative, and there's four cruises aboard the Oceanus Explorer this year. Uh, After our cruise, there will be a cruise uh, around Wake, Um, Mm atoll as part of the Pacific Remote Islands Marine National Monument Uh, and after that there's actually going to be work in the Mariana's Trench uh, National Marine Monument so they're uh, trying to cover a lot of these protected areas in the U.S. Pacific
0: Now when you get down to Kwajalein is that where they boot you off the boat?
6: Uh, so, yeah, Jonathan and myself will be uh, taking a, a, a flight back home here to Honolulu, and several others, uh, several of the pilots and engineers will also be getting off the ship, uh, and there's be a new crew coming in. Uh, so there will be a, a little bit of a, a turnover.
0: Okay, and then what does Okeanos have another mission in that in that uh, vicinity?
6: Yeah, so they will be continuing on throughout the U.S. Pacific, as I mentioned. Mm-hmm, after mm-hmm. us, uh, they will be heading from Kwajalein up to Wake Island, uh, later heading to Marianas Trench, uh, doing work all the way, and they coming back to Honolulu at the end of their field season in September. Uh, so our cruise, this 24-day expedition, is just the first of four expeditions uh, throughout the larger U.S. Pacific area.
0: Now, one of the uh, interesting sort of communications piece of, of your your travels is that all this telepresence and all this video and all the connectivity that is, is uh, being provided uh, from Okeanos Explorer is made via satellite, but the data rates are pretty high, and I would guess that, you know, sometimes the telepresence doesn't work. I mean, what what is involved in making sure that you've got a decent satellite connection? Because I can't imagine, well, I've got to imagine that there's some pretty precise aiming mechanisms that, uh, are, you know, that's on board Okeanos Explorer to achieve that.
6: Yeah, it's quite remarkable what they are able to achieve. So last year, we and on our cruise, uh, they were pretty successful. We just had one day where we lost uh, satellite connection. But it's unbelievable to think that you're Two mi- 2,000 miles away from Honolulu. This thing is 3 miles deep, and you can see the video in real time, so it's unbelievable. Uh, now, some of the issues with the satellite and not having good connection is actually a, a function of when you have rough mm-hmm. uh, sea conditions, so when the seas are too rough, uh, the connection with the satellite uh, kind of drift in and out, uh, but we hope for smooth sa- uh, sailing on this expedition so that all of you guys can fall in real time and Share the excitement.
1: And we had a caller ask um, where that live stream is. You know, if, if, if Netflix isn't cutting, you want to watch <laughs> deep sea
0: video live. It's fun watching. I really, it was engaging to me. Where can you go?
6: Uh, so the Okeanos Explorer website. So you can either Google Okeanos Explorer or on oceanexplorer.noaa.gov. Uh, there's a link there to a live feed where you can watch uh, the live video feed and they actually even have a mobile app so you can download that and if you don't have a computer but have your smartphone you can actually watch the video on your smartphone as and, well and
0: and you'll be uh, you'll be televising pretty much the entire day right i mean as soon as the ROV gets lifted and, and hoisted and set into the ocean i mean that's about the time you start
6: broadcasting is that correct Video is actually available around the clock, so when the ROV is in the water, you can watch that. When it's not in the water, there's other cameras uh, so you can see what's happening on the deck. Uh, When we are processing samples in the in the laboratory after the dives, that's broadcast too. So oh, so there's
0: there's a camera on on you guys uh, while you're you know doing sample uh, sort of analysis. Jonathan, have you been caught perhaps dancing in the sample room? (laughs) Uh, Not
1: yet. Uh, You'll have to tune in just to see if you'll. (laughs) Is there any interaction with the audience? I mean, do you behave, or is there any impact? I guess the fact that you have this opportunity to reach a global audience live while you're doing your work. Or science is science, and that's not a factor in what you're doing.
4: Well, uh, there there is some contact that can be made by the general public to us. However, most of the um, the communication is done between the the engineers and scientists on board, as well as the scientists that are on shore viewing the uh, the live stream video as well. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I
0: think most partners. of the most of the interaction is between the scientists and, and, and who's on yeah, the, and so the crew. Yeah, so there's a
6: two-way communication between shore-based scientists uh, and uh, the ship-based scientists where we have an actual dialogue and we talk and forth. Uh, the general public can basically view what's happening but uh, can't necessarily call in and ask for close-ups or samples to be collected. <laughs> Uh, But we do have, actually, one really cool thing they do is on one particular day of the expedition, and this is going to be on March 3rd, uh, they have a partnership with Reddit. Uh, It's a website. Oh, yeah. Uh Ask me anything. Ask us anything. So on that day, they will uh, provide a link on the Oceanus Explorer website, and any one of you guys, listeners, educators, Anything you are interested to know, you can ask the scientists, engineers, pilots on board, and we will do our best to get through all the questions. Now,
1: before we run out of time, we mentioned earlier that the Papahanaumokuakea Marine National Monument is 10 years old. In fact, established, according to Wikipedia, in June of uh, 2006. Um, And there are some ways that that milestone is going to be marked, correct, Dan?
6: yeah, that's a very good point, and thank you for reminding me, Ryan. So, yeah, we are celebrating our 10th anniversary of Papahanamukua Kea Marine National Monument, and we're also celebrating this year the 6th anniversary of Papahanamukua becoming um, a world heritage site uh, by the United Nations. And, in fact, it's so significant that Papahanamukua is currently the only site in the United States that is distinguished for both its cultural and natural resources, Uh, so really highlighting how important and how much of a treasure that this is, not just to Hawaii, uh, but to the United States and to the world in general.
0: Now, you know, I got to say open data one more time uh, because, you know, that's kind of like my thing, but the data that is produced, I mean, how quickly does that get posted up to the website or wherever, uh, you know, uh, NOAA makes this available? And I know it's pretty impressive because... You know, it's uh, uh, not only the video, but, you know, the, the, the telemetry that you folks collect. I mean, how and how quickly do you guys turn that around?
6: So a lot of the mapping data and uh, more of the remote data, uh, they do after dives are over. Um, they sh- they sh- basically send all those data files to shore. Mm-hmm. Uh, so scientists on shore are, are able to access it basically the same day, um, the video. And that is, of course, in real time. Uh, and then the samples are made available as soon as we get back and are able to put them in boxes and ship them to museums and repositories. So uh, there is a very fast turnaround time in making this available to researchers.
1: Mm-hmm. Fantastic. Now, um, Jonathan, do you know anything about, uh, I think it was mentioned, the World Conservation Congress um, Event that's coming, now, or that's still a Dan question. That's definitely a Dan yeah, question. Yeah.
0: So and and you. So how is is Noah participating, or is Okeanos Explorer? I mean, what is it that's uh, that's so your part in that? The
6: World Conservation Congress. Uh, This September, uh, here in Hawaii, it's the very first time this is happening on U.S. soil. Um, It's been kind of compared as the Olympics of conservation, so it's a very Mm. big deal that we have this here in Hawaii. And this showcases everything that's happening around the world with uh, uh, marine conservation and conservation in general. Papahanamu Kua will be a big uh, part of it, and... uh, folks can come down and learn more. Uh, The Okeanos Explorer will also have a presentation highlighting their research. Uh, So it's a huge gathering of scientists, managers, conservationists, uh, and it's a very uh, fortunate thing that we have this here in Hawaii.
1: Well, it sounds like you've got your work cut out for you. Jonathan, (laughs) after you get off the Okeanos, what's the next uh, milestone for you
4: in your research? Oh, well, the next milestone will actually still be working with a lot of the data that we've collected mm-hmm. on the cruises uh, over the past couple of years. So um, now that we have imagery of the bottom, we have samples that have been collected from the bottom, uh, the next step is to actually think of some interesting questions in which to use that material for. So uh, I'll spend the next year or two uh, looking at some of the mapping data and uh, actually some of the giant marine landslides that have occurred that mm. have are along the entire Hawaiian Islands that we uh, we use the mapping data to take a look at and Well, we're looking forward to it. Reconstruct. Yeah, great. Send us your uh, white papers. (laughs) (laughs) Well,
0: Daniel Wagner and Jonathan Tree are both researchers on the NOAA vessel Okeanos Explorer, leaving for Papahanao Mokuakea on February 23rd. And, of course, you can watch their video and and wish them the best. I want to thank you both for joining us today. Thank you.
6: Yeah, thank you so much.
0: And thank you for listening to Bite Marks Cafe. Join us next week when we'll look into why Opeki
1: have been in short supply and efforts to save them.
0: And of course, if you miss any part of this edition, you can find the podcast of tonight's show on BiteMarksCafe.org. And if you have any comments or suggestions, you can email us at feedback at BiteMarks.org. And of course, you can find us on Twitter. I'm at BiteMarks. You can follow me at Hawaii. Our engineer is David Chong and our executive producer is Beth Ann Kozmovic. And we leave you with our song pick of the week. Here's a band called Night Beats and a song called Sunday Morning. See you next week on another edition of Bite Marks Cafe. (laughs)